Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Guardian. This podcast contains conversations about violent crime, which some listeners may find disturbing. Parental guidance for children is strongly advised. All too often, knife crime is reduced to a crude morality play, in which the young perpetrators are all but invisible. You want to wrap them in cotton wool, but you can't. And you worry because you never know, is your child going to be in that situation that other people's children have been in? Defined by their crime, they're not children who have killed, but killers. Not people who have done something monstrous, but monsters. Fear is one of those things that stops us from being able to really, you know, be a community. You know, it's the fear of the other all the time. We met people throughout the country who are now challenging these definitions. Nowhere more so than in Birmingham. There, some parents have realised that in order to heed the caution in these tragic crimes, we must first restore the humanity of those who commit them. When I come out of jail, I'd never been praised before I'd turned my life around. And when I come out and got praised for the work that I was doing, I thrived. Rather than report on their conversations, we let them speak for themselves. Society tends to look down at young people once they've made a wrong choice. And what we're saying by that is that we're writing them off. I'm Gary Young, and this is Beyond the Blade. How are you? Oh, God. Okay, um, we're here in Moseley. I've lived here for 15 years. It's quite a quiet area. <laughs> Hello, my name's Alison Cope, and we're here today to be discussing our own stories, our thoughts, and our opinions on knife crime. Uh, 12 and 8. Growing up with my son in this area was ideal because there was no other young people, no shops, 
no areas that were classed as problem areas that he could be involved in. So for myself, growing up with a child, it was a nice area to bring him up in and live. I was primarily brought up in South Birmingham, a Green. My name is Alan McGeechy, otherwise known as Curly. I'm a father of two and I visit schools, work with lots of young people in the community. And my initial kind of experiences I remember not being very welcomed, to be fair, um, simply because of my the skin colour, being of mixed ethnic background. But in the schools, you know, I had, you know, different challenges, but overcame them um, primarily just because I think I had a lot of love around me, family, uh, gave me a lot of confidence. And that gradually uh, helped me to turn things around. I'm Daryl, an ex-gang member from my side in Manchester. I've lived a colourful life, to say the least. Um, I've been stabbed, I've been shot, and I've been charged with murder before now, and cleared of murder. A lot of positive work's going on in the schools and within the youth provisions, even though youth provisions have been cut massively. Um, I go and spread positivity and try and empower kids to choose the right path and not go down the path like I went down. I went down a rough, rough path where I've lost over 30 friends to gang violence. My best mate was killed in front of me in 1991 and I pledged my allegiance to him, I was loyal to him. I didn't run and leave him. Nowadays, your mates will run and leave you and there's no loyalty because you, when you're behind the door doing a life sentence, your mates won't even send you a 10 pound postal order. It's your mum, your family that you have to rely on. So I kind of like, I try and educate kids on how they can be positive people. Can make a mistake in life and then come back with something positive. I've redeemed myself when I travel all over the country delivering work. In regards to people's views on Birmingham, it all depends on the headlines of the day because what people tend to do is go on social media, go on the news, and read, you know gang crime, knife crime, gun crime. And what that does, it fills fear people's minds with fear and makes them think Birmingham is a scary place but like again with victims of knife crime you have to look at them individually it will take one person with the wrong intentions they can go into any area and then everyone would assume that area is scary and you shouldn't go there and it has a massive effect not just on the victim not just on families but on communities so I think the press have got a role to play in explaining the whole of the story, explaining how it happened and why it happened so people don't just jump to conclusions and think there's gang members running around the whole of Birmingham trying to kill young people because that isn't what happens, you know, but that's what the press will put out there and it's filling everyone with fear. So I think, you know, Birmingham is a lovely place to live with lovely people. However, there is a minority of people that cause a lot of fear and damage to everybody. I mean, Alison, we've talked on the phone, but I thought it would probably be useful if we all just talk a little bit about what this Beyond the Blade Guardian project is, just so um, you have a bit of a sense of like where, what our journey to this point has been and like where we're sort of coming from. And so what we're doing, we're saying to young people, 
you know, gangs, knives, areas, buses, parks are scary. And then what we're doing, we're, we're breeding fear through communities, through young people. And I think the social media and the news have a huge role to play. And I think they're lacking. They need to make people aware of what's actually really triggering a lot of knife attacks. Instead, they're just saying statistics and making people scared and that's not a way to deal with it. We need to be making people aware that it is actually still incredibly rare, but when it does affect you, it has a devastating effect for many, many years. And we're not giving practical advice how we can prevent knife crime, how we can save lots of young people losing their lives to support families, to support communities and a positive way forward. We don't see that in the press. And until we do, all we're going to do is be scaring everybody to think, you know, we need to carry a knife because the world is a scary place. I've seen so many different um, young people um, who don't have that support at home. Um, and many of the young people that I work with, school is often a safe haven to, to some extent um, with regard to having someone positive in their life, a teacher, a TA, um, a adult who they regard as someone who can at least listen to them do you know what I mean to some extent I was very fortunate as a young man having my parents split up but my father was still an active a very active presence in my life um, he was an anchor in many regards emotionally for me he listened to me he as a young man growing up me form, formulating my emotions and being able to articulate them to someone who I respected someone who I felt was strong someone who I knew loved me um, was a massive advantage for me. I think for me developing the resilience to overcome my own personal challenges in the context of where I was growing up. So I think for me as a father of two children, my primary role, my, my, you know, my reason for breathing while I am here, you know, is to make sure that I'm just making sure that my children feel comfortable and as happy as possible being themselves as much as possible, whatever form that takes. As long as they're not hurting anyone else, and they're happy, they're not. Can, I, can I ask you a question, Alan? As a parent, what are you concerned about? When you see these headlines, when you see me going on daily about this, do you worry about your two children growing up in society? Helping our children make good decisions is a key factor as to where they're going to end up. I think the environment that they're in is the environment that they're in and they're in the same boat as many other young people, but they may have advantages and disadvantages to navigate their way through. But apart from all of that, I'm talking about you and your children. So if, you're, if your son goes to the park, do you have concerns about who's in that park? Do you worry knife crime could affect your children? Not what other people are doing. If, if your children are out there, publicly, do you ever worry that this could affect them? Yeah, there's dangers all around. Do you ever worry about your kids being in contact with someone with a knife? Yeah, it goes without saying. Yeah, but that's the door we're trying to get out, is if, as a parent, if because of what we read and what we see, we're worried. You know, Megan, are you worried with your little boy growing up in this society? Daryl, you see it every day as a parent. Are you growing up worried that your children could become the next victim? I think more for me, because I had that problem, I had a knife pulled on me. 
I'm Megan and I'm a mother of one and I've been a victim of knife crime. So no worry, I can't be with my son all the time. He's gonna grow up, he's gonna become a teenager. He's gonna wanna grow up with his friends and you can't stop that. You have to let them grow up, you have to let them be kids. You've gotta give them that love. You can't hide them away and lock them up as much as you wanna. You wanna wrap them in cotton wool, but you can't. And you worry because you never know is your child going to be in that situation that other people's children have been in? It's on there somewhere. Yeah, let me just find the... What am I doing playing it for you, Phil? Recording it? I was just doing Cheryl. <laughs> oh, it goes on a bit to record. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. If anyone can see. So this one is my little award winner. Sorry. So these, these are the families. These are the people coming. They got a coach from Wolverhampton traveling to Birmingham. Because it was their prom. It was their prom. You see from there, you can. This year, I put on an award ceremony called the Joshua Ribera Achievement Awards. And it was for 20 um, school children that had originally been excluded from mainstream school. Yay. The reason and idea behind the awards ceremony was approximately three years ago, I started working in PRUES and referral units where the young people had been excluded. And I was meeting a lot of them that were doing incredibly well. So, you know, the support and guidance that had been given to them was really paying off. So I was asking questions like, are you having your prom this year? But unfortunately, once you're excluded, you're not allowed to go to the prom. You're not allowed end of term trips to museums, to theme parks, and you also don't get work experience. And I thought that was incredibly unfair. And I know from my own experiences with my son, Josh, that if you invest your time and effort with a lot of positive guidance, it can really pay off. So I decided that I was gonna put on an awards night for these young people. Chocolates, vouchers, goodie bags, caricaturists, went round, magicians. You think a caricaturist can make me look slim? And it was amazing. They came in, they looked scared, they looked anxious, they weren't sure what was going on. And by the end of the evening, they were bouncing around with massive grins and just felt incredibly special. And it showed them that if you do work hard, it can pay off and you will get rewarded for it. And it's tried to instill that man mentality into them and keep them going. And a lot of them have stayed in touch and just said that was the most amazing night of their lives and they're gonna keep going and keep going. So I'm gonna do it all again next year because again, we're always saying these kids are hard to reach, but if we do it in the correct way and invest in them correctly, then it will pay off in the end. I couldn't give him some plastic little feet, no way. It's representing Josh, so I couldn't do that. Hang on, sorry. But look, that's all the winners. So when I arrived at the awards, I was quite blown away because the first thing I saw was a cardboard cut out of Joshua. 
So it was quite emotional because you look at it so realistic. You thought you think it's him, but then you see everyone there, everyone smiling. Alison with a smile on her face. Josh's sister with a smile on her face. It was it was overwhelming, but it was so nice to see everyone come together, everyone smiling. It, there was just love and warmth in the one room. It was just so enjoyable. The standards had to be incredibly high. I didn't want people to come and think, oh, is that it? Um, what else did we have? We had all things on the table, like scratch cards, bracelets for people to remember Josh by. It was just a really, you know, I spent out the whole evening, I probably spent two minutes acknowledging Josh because I wanted to keep it balanced. It was a happy, fun evening, not a sad, you know, a sad evening to cry. There were a few tears, but then we pulled it back and then carried on with, his, with the evening. So no, it was really good. Josh loved a good party. So in, in that sense of that night, it was how Josh would have put a party. And I think that's what made it so emotional because you just seen it as, this is a Joshua party. We had drinks flowing. There was a Depsman mocktail for the kids to enjoy. So it was, it was nice. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you about Joshua, my son. Now, Josh was born 1995 and he was a young person, had his own struggles, was excluded from mainstream school. So again, excluded, pushed away. Uh, luckily for Josh, Josh had me, which pulled him straight back in. Um, however, I I think if there wasn't me in his life, he would be, you know, another young person that's just thrown away, kind of on a on a heap of you know excluded children. He got arrested when he was ten, was going down a path that wasn't very positive. But again, there was me, my family pulling him back. That was it. And then when Joshua was fifteen, he found music. MK, RD, everyone, all the family, everyone. See life as a young fog, you know it's popped up, no role models in my life cause they're locked up, too real for the street. He was getting known all around the country, internationally, was working, touring, had a number one album and as a parent he was achieving everything I ever wanted, saying please and thank you, showing respect, showing he loved me working legally and very positively and then on the 20th of September of 2013 he went to a party and during the evening he had an argument and in most cases of youth murder, a small situation can escalate, and it did escalate, and the young man that killed my son made a choice, and that choice was to go home, pick up a knife, and bring it back to the club. And when Josh was on his own, he was followed outside. The knife was taken out with the intention of slashing Josh, but as we see every day, a slash wound, a, you know, 
one reaction with a knife can lead to death and it did it actually went straight into Joshua's heart he lived for seven hours um, they opened up his body they broke his ribs open heart surgery and for seven hours he fought to stay alive he was so desperate to stay he kept coming back but then on the 21st of September, he took his last breath and died. But I also try and say to people, that affected, obviously, ended Joshua's life, broke my life forever, affected everybody, communities, all over the UK. But then there was another person it affected person that was not really, really aware of the dangers of knives, Armani Mitchell. Now, had he been, who knows if it would have been different, but, you know, it could have been. We, don't, we won't know that, but if he'd have maybe been really, really aware of how that one choice put him in the position he's in today, perhaps he wouldn't have made that choice and Josh would still be here. So I think it's so, so important that we need to invest in the perpetrators to prevent the victims instead of just, there's a victim. Oh, well, another one. You know, we need to look really hard at why and what we can do to prevent it. And I think we can't stop it, but we can certainly dramatically reduce it to stop the next child dying on our streets. If somebody gets killed in a community, the community is affected also. So the community come together, obviously everybody comes together when it's funeral time, but community should be coming together. In my area, community does come together, believe it or not, beforehand and tries to educate kids on that, but a lot of communities come together when it's too late, when the deed has been done and the funeral's passed and the police have been involved in all that so obviously prevention's better than cure this is one of the things that i think fear tends to certainly override man in terms of people's priorities and values it's only when we lose something do we really value it sometimes you know what i mean and i think that like Dara was on about when people come together when it's already kind of like too late you know and uh, it's amazing how conversations can be had over a common theme like the loss of a family member or you know someone loved because I think we've all been through that. I mean, certainly, you know, both sides of my family, white and black, you know, seeing my grandparents going through losing a son on each side through violence, you know, it's uh, heartbreaking to see, man. And, you know, forget about religion and, and, and what's being pumped out there, you know what I mean? I think the, the, the fear is one of those things that stops us from being able to really, you know, be a community. You know, it's the fear of the other all the time. You know what I mean? We're really, we're all human beings, man. It's the human family, it's as simple as that. You know what I mean? So I think we should be asking questions as to where the source of this fear is coming from and really be prepared to really challenge uh, some of these narratives that are pushed forth, which are dividing people over the things that we care most about. In support, it's, it's a tough one because 
there's nothing there that can support you, but nothing's going to bring Joshua back. Nothing's going to bring anyone else's children back. It's just a matter of they have money there, but they don't want to give it. There's kids out there waiting for daddy to come home from prison because daddy took the wrong path. There's kids waiting for daddy to come home, but they don't understand daddy's not here no more. It's There's no support for anyone. You've got to think of mothers that have children with partners that have been killed, with partners in prison because they've killed someone. There's no support out there. You just have to have family and sometimes family don't even stick by you. I think the awards are incredibly important for lots of reasons. One being society tends to look down at young people once they've made a wrong choice. And what we're saying by that is that we're writing them off. And that's not, as far as I'm concerned, okay, because what we need to do is try and support them and guide them so that they can turn their lives around and move forward and become, you know, a positive member of society. If we just throw them away at the age of 11, 12, 13, we're saying to them that they're not worth investing in and it lowers their self-esteem and self-esteem has been linked to a lot of crime. So I think it's so important that we, you know, reward them if their behaviour is changing. For me, the most valuable thing we're seeing kids that have had, say, a bad past be rewarded and see them smile and have an enjoyable night, you know, laughing with their families. The, the food, the donuts, the robot, they were just enjoying it. The photo booth, you could go in there and take stupid photos. It was just good to see everyone smile. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to be involved in the awards. I hope to be able to help find some prizes and some sponsorship. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but I am guaranteeing something. <laughs> yeah, I hope to be able to be there on the night and to support Alison and to give these kids some praise because when I come out of jail, I'd never been praised before I'd turned my life around. And when I come out and got praised for the work that I was doing, I thrived. So everywhere I go now, I, I get praise and that's what keeps me to carry on. And to be honest, I was going to give up this work a few months ago until that night I met Alison and just seeing her passion for what she does um, has kept me going, so to speak. The story of knife crime among the young isn't one of angels and demons. It's a story of kids, some of whom have made bad choices. 
choices that may have left other kids just like them dead and families and communities in mourning. Trying to understand why they made the choices they did isn't an indulgence, it's a necessity. Special thanks to Alison, Alan, Daryl and Megan for giving up their Saturday morning and to Alison for also letting us use her home. Special thanks also to Silence TV for letting us use footage of Joshua. If you want to find out more about Alison's awards and her other work, We'll include a link to her website in the episode's description on the Guardian website. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed, you can find advice and support at victimssupport.org.uk, knifecrimes.org or samaritans.org. We've included links to these organisations in the episode's description page at theguardian.com. This podcast featured Alison, Alan, Daryl and Megan. And from The Guardian, Grace Shooty, Shanida Scotland and Lindsay Poulton. This podcast was produced by Max Sanderson with Alison, Alan, Daryl, Megan, Caroline Bannock, Grace Shooty, Shanida Scotland and Lindsay Poulton. And the presenter was Gary Young. If you want to find out more about our Beyond the Blade project, head to theguardian.com and search Beyond the Blade. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.